You said something about Mexico. Did you ride down there? Yes, I did. There's a rodeo associate or a bull riding association down there. Buenos Chuecos. They're kind of like PBR and they're they're a big deal down there and ford sponsors and monster sponsors them and they would just roll out the red carpet for us those folks packed the house there wasn't an empty seat in the joint it was cool man so bluegrass bluegrass so is your family yeah, my family, White House Harmony, had a band, and uh, man, they traveled for the better part of my childhood. I, matter of fact, my granddad gave me a 1954 Gibson for one of my, let's see, I was probably 21 or two, and gave it to me for my birthday. It was his first guitar that he played in the band with, and it's really? herringbone trim on it. And You still have it? Yeah. I still got it. No kidding. Yeah, it's a sweet guitar, and uh, big, kind of a thicker neck on it. And, yeah. So anyway, I grew up with them and they recorded several CDs over the years and traveled. They played in Branson and, and, um, I think they did about 14 years. Um, Six Flags used to have a Western Heritage Days. Yeah. And they played over there for about 14 years and it was just the whole family. It was my grandmother, my papa, my two aunts, my, and two of my cousins. Whoa. So anyway. Uh, so the two cousins that live in. Yeah. So we were just talking about. Yeah. Haley Simon. Okay. Yeah, she lives in Decatur, right there off the square. And then uh, she still plays some Texas music stuff around the area. And um, and then Jordan Sinclair, he was their bass player. And he does some things here and there. Uh, but anyway, I come from a musical family background, and I kind of went off on the rodeo bull riding trail and track. And anyway, they, um, they always kind of wanted me to play the guitar, and I picked it up a little bit when I was older, but... Anyway, board riding was my deal when I was younger, so I just kind of stuck with that and headed that direction. Well, the music thing and the rodeo thing yeah, go hand in hand. Goes hand in hand, yeah. Going down the rodeo trail, picking on the guitar, right? So, and that's kind of when I went when I started college at Vernon. Um, that's kind of when I picked up the music deal. I wanted to kind of learn the guitar and how to play the guitar um, because obviously you have time when you're in college. There's time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in between classes and whatever else you're doing, and so. My roommate, or not my roommate, uh, a buddy of mine had a guitar that he'd keep down in his room, and so I'd sneak down there and grab it, and he had a chord book, and I'd start learning chords. And then, Okay. So, anyway, it was... So, did you end up playing with the family at all? No, no, I'm not on that level. Really? My, my papa learned how to play by ear when he was a kid. He grew up in the mountains of Arkansas, and um, always had an affinity for music, and so he picked up a guitar and learned how to play by ear himself and you know they started that band he could pick and grin with the best of them they'd go to those festivals and i'd sit around and listen to him play you say this is your dad no it's my granddad oh granddad he's passed away now unfortunately but uh great man you know i really looked up to him a lot my dad also plays he plays the guitar and the banjo and sings and he'll, he plays with some of the local uh cowboy churches and then I'm sure you're familiar with the greenwood country store for sure yeah where they and they have catfish on saturdays yep. and stuff and um my dad will go out there and play sometimes. They got a little, they call them, they call themselves lonesome for fame. Ah, <laughs> just kind of a joke, you know, they just have fun, you know? Yeah. They're, uh, but they're good, man. My, my dad, I grew up with him picking on that banjo and he'd get going on that thing and them fingers, you know, them picks on his fingers. And anyway, it was cool, you know, growing up in that and all the family get togethers, we, my family always played music and sang and, you know, they can do a mean rendition of happy birthday, probably the best happy <laughs> <Yeah>. birthday. <laughs> So anytime someone was birthday, my you know they had a, a harmony group. You know, obviously my grandmother, and my yeah. two aunts would harmonize, and anyway, so they'd kind of put us to shame a little bit when they were singing. Yeah, <laughs> so they'd stay, they'd harmonize, and anyway, 
A lot of fun growing up with that. Yeah, definitely. Did they rodeo? Uh, you know, nobody really rodeoed in my family with exception to, I think my uncle and them kind of, um, you know, played with bull riding a little bit. Uh, my dad, his uh, big joke was that when he was younger, he got on one bull and that was all it took. He went out to the Cowbell. I don't know if you're familiar with Cowbell Indoor Arena. It was in Mansfield, very historical arena. A lot of guys got their start. A lot of guys got on bucking bulls over there when they were kids and stuff. And it, it was a weekly deal and they had practices and uh, it's now, a, uh, I can't think of the name of that high school, maybe Legacy over in Mansfield. It's right across from Whataburger. But, uh, man, it was, I have some good memories as a kid going over there too as well. But uh, that's where my dad got on his first bull, his first and only bull. And um, so, anyway. And so, and so you like, you, I mean, you didn't have a lot of family in it. You had to teach yourself or how? Yeah. No, I, um, so, you know, I got into the rodeo deal kind of, you know, my family's country. Like I said, my, my family grew up in the mountains of Arkansas. So I grew up with stories of my granddad and my granddad telling me stories about my relatives and, you know, with mountain lions and running crosscut saws in the log woods and skidding logs out of the, the mountains with mules and fighting and this moonshine bunch and you know and i grew up going to the river up there my my family still has a 40 acre place up there that original home my papa's original home place and um so i grew up there you know i grew up going up there but i lived in i was born in irving and so i was born in inner city and uh lived in grand prairie grand prairie at the time was pretty rural and um huh that's funny yeah pretty rural it's not anymore <laughs> i don't think obviously <laughs> but uh my whole family actually lived over there so kind of you know there was a country upbringing there and so i kind of you know fell in I, I started out school in keller my my mom and dad were split up but um anyway i started school in keller with my mom and them and then um ended up transferring over to irving when i was uh in sixth grade and i fell in with a group of kids that were you know they wanted a rodeo they talked about getting on bulls and all this stuff there were some guys in that group that you know had tried it you know at cowbell and everywhere else and so one of the guys had a bucking barrel in his backyard, and I'll never forget, we it was just right down the street from our junior high. And so a group of us went down there one day. We were getting on that bucking barrel, and next thing I know, back then, Grand Prairie had some guys that had some bulldog and pens and stuff, and they were just happened to be kind of in close proximity to where I lived and where a few of my friends lived at. And um, so we just started going these bulldog and pens, and these guys, would they'd run steers, you know, and throw them, and then at the end of the deal, they'd let us get on their lead steer or whatever, and it just kind of slowly built from that, you know, and I had a couple of friends that, uh, one was a team roper, Wes Moss out of Decatur and, um, and then Canberra Blessing, uh, Canberra Smith now, but, um, they were rodeoing pretty heavily and pro youth and actually kind of going, you know what I mean? And, um, I had, at the time I was smitten with Canberra. She was, you know, my, one of my first girlfriends and, sure. and, uh, she said, well, Hey, you know, we're, I'm going to these pro youth rodeos and, she said, well, why don't you enter, you know, and you can go with us. And I said, hey, that sounds great. And then, so, anyway. And so, uh, you were 17, 16? No, I was, uh, I started riding steers when I was 10. Yeah. Yeah, so I was 10, and I rode bulls. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to youth rodeos. Yeah, yeah. youth rodeos, yeah. So, I started out riding steers, and um, I rode steers for, I don't know, a year or two there. And, uh, well, I actually tell you what, that first year, um, they started out putting us on just kind of bulldog and steer type, uh, stock and about midway through the season, I said, "Hey, we're going to switch over to what we call peewee bulls," and that freaked me out a little bit, you know, because it's you know, it officially became a bull, sure. so it wasn't a steer anymore, right? And um, so anyway, we started getting on peewee bulls, and 
and uh you know just stuck with it man i i am um, i spent about i don't know 15 years all together often you know riding bulls from youth rodeo all the way through professional rodeo and anyway just really enjoyed my time riding bulls it i you know i was telling i was talking to my dad about this the other day you know because um i remember being a kid in irving texas grand prairie inner city and um you know I grew up going to, st- you know, my mom and dad and them, they'd take me or my family would take me to rodeos, the old Trader's Village Rodeo. I don't know. They used to have a rodeo out there. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Uh, but as a kid, I was, well, I was probably, you know, four or five years old. I've got pictures over there up against the fence looking, you know, watching the rodeo and stuff. And so I grew up kind of with the influence, you know, we'd go and watch it and I always kind of had a, an attraction to the bulls and sure. the big, you know, everybody, all the kids do, right? And um, anyway, so... I just, I had that influence and anyway, I, I fell into it. Well, you were saying you were talking to your dad about it. Was it like the idea that, that what specifically were y'all talking about? The, how you got into it or? Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I was talking to my dad and I said, you know, uh, I remember being a young kid and just, I couldn't, um, I was just wanted to be a cowboy so bad in whatever way I could. And, uh, obviously we, I didn't have a ranch ranching cowboy background you know to have the um the opportunity to get out there and do that because we were living in grand prairie you know i was around a few horses and things through canberra and them and uh but man i remember sitting on the back porch and uh listening to old chris ledoux cassette tapes listening to all those songs that are about rodeo living and being a cowboy and and uh man just dreaming and watching the nfr back then you know there wasn't a lot of rodeo on tv like kind of like there is today on you know because of the cowboy channel and all that which i think it's great for kiddos and everybody else but back then it was tnn and you know uh mesquite rodeo was Mm -hmm. pretty much the the most standard rodeo production on tv man i'd watch those old mesquite rodeos and um you know then when it was nfr season i'd stay up late and watch the nfr man and just sit and dream of being a just being good i just wanted to be, try to be good you know i just wanted to get one road probably at the time you know started getting stuck on my head but which happened a lot you know and um but i listened to those old crystal do tapes and man i just be i was just eat up with it you know yeah. and i played all the traditional sports i played uh baseball and soccer and basketball and karate and you know i tried a little bit of everything growing up baseball was kind of always my deal uh i really enjoyed play, playing baseball till i was about I don't know, probably sixth grade, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, I played a little football in junior high and stuff like that, but rodeo just stuck with me. And I think it, you know, it's a mentality thing and I, it tried me and it was challenging. And, you know, once you, once you do get on a, a bucket animal and you ride a bucket animal, you kind of have that, you know, that fire in you, you know, it's like, it just kind of sticks with you. And, um, you how know, would you describe the feeling of getting on one? I'll tell you, man, I, I have, uh, you know, over the years, man, I obviously 15 years riding bulls, you know, I, I got to feel that feeling a time or two, you know, riding, I get, get a road and all that stuff, made some good bull rides and stuff. But, you know, after I quit riding bulls, I, you know, you kind of, a little bit, you miss that feeling. So you start trying to find things to replace it. And I've been skydiving and that sort of thing. And man, it's just, there's nothing like riding uh, a bucking animal and being, a bunch of points and getting off you hear that whistle blow and you get off and you got the crowd cheering for you and then you get there behind the bucket shoots and the, your buddies are shaking your hand telling you good bull ride your heart's pounding you're scared to death anybody that tells you they're they're not scared is lying you know what i mean at what at some point you know 
And uh, so you just did this real dangerous thing and you're scared to death and you turn the, you turn that fear into something positive and there's this positive outcome. And man, there's just nothing like, I guess maybe you could probably relate, you know, you go on stage and you got the crowd screaming for you, your heart, you know, I don't know if your first time out there on the stage, maybe but that would be something similar. Um, I still get nervous. Yeah, there you go. You get out there and you, you, you do something difficult and um, you get to the end result and it's a positive result. And I don't know. It's just hard to explain it. I mean, you know, but it's. I'd be curious if the nerves almost get worse with something like bull riding or something really risky like that. What I do, there's no risk. You know, yeah. like, it's not like you're rolling the dice when you yeah. get up on stage. Like riding a bull or anything, skydiving, you know, there's a roll of the dice element yeah. to it yeah. that it's almost like yeah. wins. There's if you haven't had it real bad yet, it's like yeah. it's going to come. Well, there's always the danger factor, you sure. know, and that's part. Is that what the fear came from? I mean, you, you know, it's, you know, it just depends, I think, at certain points of your career. Um, you know, I think there's probably different things that cause different levels of fear. Sometimes it's um, fear of just you're getting on a 1,500-pound bucking animal. Yeah. It's, you get on them, you sit down on them, slide down on them in the buck and shoot, and they're shaking. You can tell they're, you know, they're adrenaline. They're as hard as this table. They're they're just so muscled up and they're shaking. And they, you just know oh. it's fixing to be a battle. Yeah. And, uh, and then other times, obviously, there's in every time, probably there's somewhat uh, fear of failure. You're out there in front of you. Right. It's you. You know what I mean? It's everything is on you, on your shoulders. And um, everybody's watching you sitting there in the stands. And again, you go from small deals to big deals. And, you know, it's. You know, it's humbling to get your to get two jumped out there in front of, in front of yeah. several thousand people, you know, or in front of your buddies even, or in front of your girlfriend. I don't know, but it hurts worse to get your ego bruised. Yeah, sometimes, you get, yeah, it's a very humbling sport, man. You know that we always used to say you're only as good as the next boy you get on, you know, and uh, that's the truth. And it's really like that in every aspect of life, you know, and uh, it's in everything you do. And that's honestly, uh, you know. More than anything, I love the competition aspect of it. I loved uh, conquering. Mm you know, difficult animals to ride, uh, you know, I like the winning money part of it. The winning money part of it was secondary in my opinion. It came with all, it came as a result of everything. Um, but man, it, it, um, rodeo taught me a lot of, as a young man, rodeo taught me a lot about life and taught me a lot of life lessons, how to, you know, get up and dust myself off and keep on rolling and, uh, fight through difficult things, how to, you know, manage money and pay fees and, you know, how to survive, kind of, you know, you're out there on the road and you're a young man and you learn how to be independent and adversity, adversity, deal with adversity. And which is probably the biggest thing, you know, and teaches a lot of lessons, man. And, um, so anyway, but then, you know, I've really had the, uh, very rodeo has really blessed me and, um, good Lord has blessed me obviously. But, um, you know, I was able to compete as a, con you know, as a contestant for many years and, um, Made a bunch of friends. I rode bulls down. Did you say you pro rodeoed? Yeah, I pro rodeoed for a little bit. I filled actually uh, filled my permit my freshman year in college, oh, okay. and um, I decided I filled it at North Texas State Fair Rodeo. I won the bull riding over there. Oh, cool! And, um, so I'm playing on the twenty fourth. Oh, you are yeah. cool. Uh, my son's riding sheep over there this year. Hey. He's a he's a returning champ from last year. Is <laughs> <laughs> he really? Yeah, yeah. I won the mutton busting last year, so. We got what, what night are they doing the mud, mud bus? So it's a progressive deal. So they have a um, like a qualifier deal that, uh, you know, they lump all the kids into two days. And last year, I think there was about 160 kids that entered. Good grief. And so they had like 80 kids per day. 
and then they take, um, I believe it's 10 per day, uh, based on ride, you know, how long they ride, if they make the whistle or whatever, however they, however they do it, you know, and then there's a semifinals perf, uh, that's usually during the, the bull riding performances, like the Miller Lite bull riding or whatever they call it now. And, um, so then they take, I think an additional, they take five from each night of that to the finals. And then there's 10 total in the finals and then they select a winner. Basically. So obviously they do it almost every night. Yeah. So there's, um, so five performances, I think, yeah. but it's all usually towards the, so they get to ride in the, um, the qualifier deal is over in their, one of their show barns, show arenas. And then if they qualify out of that, then they get to ride in the big boy rodeo. And so. Which is a cool deal for the kids, you know. But he won it last year. Yeah, he won it. He won him a big old uh, dinner plate buckle, and you know, <laughs> he was in the Wise County Messenger. And, and uh-huh. ironically enough, when he won that buckle, uh, the good folks at Justin Brands had invited him over to also participate in um, mutton busting over at the Fort Worth Stockyards Coliseum, and um, so he went over there and actually won one of the perfs over there too. So he had a big trophy and a buckle, and so he was, you know, he's Mister Mutton Buster at that point. So uh, getting on. Bulls, uh, is that something you'd discourage or encourage or just kind of impartial to if they want to do it? Then... Uh, you know, I'm not going to discourage it. Rodeo, you know, my dad and I, again, we were having this conversation the, the other day, you know, but um, I'm not going to discourage it. Um, you know, if they want to ride bulls, then, you know, I'm going to give them the best opportunity and, and get them, teach them how to do it the right way and with the right equipment, put them on the right quality of stock. Right. Because I think that's a, that's a difficult thing. There's a fine line there in today's world of bull riding because a lot of the bulls these kids are getting on are just they're obviously the genetic deal has just become uh-huh. has become a huge deal, and there are some buckers out there. I just <laughs> like some fire breathing dragons, you know what I mean? And they start them so young, and so you know I think and uh, you know Cody Custer, our previous world champion bull rider, he's a big advocate of that, putting kids on the right level of stock, and you know. The, my oldest boy, he got on a couple of calves, and there was a guy that brought some Holstein calves, and he got on some of those, and they're big, mm-hmm. but they're they're easy to ride, yeah. easier to ride. They they have a you know pretty standard bucking pattern, and those dairy calves are pretty docile. And it was just I think they're those are really good for young kids to get on as they're transitioning out of the sheep riding, or if they're starting uh, you know on the calf riding deal, or even some uh, some of the kids are interested in maybe getting on a steer or two. Um, just, just make sure that you're getting on quality stock and that's the same for my kids. If they want to ride bulls or I'm going to make sure they're getting on stuff that is, is, that fits their skill level. Sure. Um, you know, back when I was getting on, it wasn't, we didn't really think like that. Yeah. We just showed up at a place and, you know, the bull riding deal was different back then. Well, you know, there was times that I paid to get on bulls and now I think guys pay people to get on bulls and yeah, shoot down at, um, the uh, stockyards rodeo, like Fridays and Saturdays, I think they pay you two hundred bucks just to get on. Yeah, I think they just yeah. <laughs> they had one guy that covered, and he, he just won all the like. All you gotta do is just cover, and yeah. yeah. But shoot, you can just get on for two hundred bucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and so that that's a totally different uh, environment than I was accustomed to when I was getting on bulls. Is you know, when I was a kid, we would pay to get on. We'd show up at these uh, guys' bucking pens, and they would be like, "You're gonna get on whatever we run in here," and they may be two-year-olds and they may be going to touring pro deals or whatever and so we just did you know and, and it wasn't getting on one or two you know it was getting on six or eight and call it what you will sometimes that probably wasn't the best thing but that's the only way we knew uh i grew up like i said and went to uh at, when i was getting on steers my parents paid for me to go over to don gay's board riding school 
not a gay, not a gay, 8X. And um, so I went over there to Mesquite, and um, I'll never forget him telling me, he said, um, all of us, all of us, he said, you don't learn how to ride bulls by getting on a bucking machine, by watching it on TV. He said, you learn how to ride bulls by getting on bulls. Mm. And so um, I took that I took that to heart and um, just, that's what I did. I learned how to ride bulls by getting on. And I'd show up at a practice pen and I'd get on bulls. I've heard some guys talk about riding jumping horses. Yeah. Helps a lot. Yeah, and you can do things to condition your groins and your, you know, get your balance. You know, there's uh, some guys that will get on a lunge, uh, put a horse on a lunge line. Sure. And, right you know, backers. yeah, get up off the rear end and, you know, start trying to, you can do things to condition yourself. Sure. You know, and that obviously helps. And I'll tell you, some of the best guys going down the road, uh, especially when I was going, some of the guys were in our group that were, that rode the best, uh, grew up either roping or I had one buddy that rode racehorses, you know, he, yep. he jockeyed race, or not jockeyed him, but, um, exercised racehorses out of the track on the side to make some money. And uh, his he grew up doing that, and he was sticky. You know, what I mean? yeah. But yeah. he he grew up doing that. Yeah, he just had a pretty good seat in general. Yeah, he just had a good had a good feel for it. And so you know, there is a lot to that as well. Oh, yeah, balance and but well, that's what throwing that mental component. Yeah, of of just the fear and the danger. And yeah, it's like I just the whole game changes. Yeah, and that's that's uh, you know the saying is that bull riding is eighty five percent mental, fifteen percent physical. And I just I've never been on. It's something I've always wanted to do, but yeah. just I mean now I'm at the point too that it's like the margin of error is like I'm giving up a lot. Yeah, to just like even go for it. So yeah, it's just like the moment has passed, but I still just even think about the idea of like just like getting my chest out over one. Yeah, like I don't think I could. That's also why I don't really want to go on get on because like I don't think I could fully commit. It's just the idea of really just putting myself out there. Just yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, see, that that the mindset changes when you start getting older. And that's what happens when it, that's the natural progression or transition phase there. But, um, you know, <clears throat> guys get a few, they have to start paying a few bills, maybe have a family, have some things, you know, a music career, whatever. And they go, you know, about this. When you're younger and you don't have anything going on and you're just like, hey, man, you can, yeah. Throw caution to the wind. I'll tell you what, I'm a pretty good couch jockey, though. I mean, <laughs> if, if those guys aren't putting in the effort, you know, I'm going to yeah. look at him. He, he looked at the ground, you know what I mean? What is he doing, you know? I have to just sit there and let my wife will just look at Yeah, him. I can't believe he did that. <laughs> you get on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Nah, it's... You yeah. said something about Mexico. Did you ride down there? Yes, I did. Um, and I'll, that was a great experience. And um, so... You know, I was thinking about on the way over here, you know, how I ended up down in Mexico... Uh, so my dad, I'll tell you, <clears throat> my dad, uh, worked for a long time in cor at, for Minyard food stores and they had a carnival food division. So I was raised around a lot of Hispanic people. So in Maynard, uh, no, it, for Minyard. Oh, Minyard. Minyard food stores, the yeah. grocery. It, How do you even say it? Is it Minard or Maynard? Menard. Menard. Oh, it's not even either one. Menard. Menard. That's right. I believe it's Menard. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm sure someone, somebody. Somebody will write it. Menard is effectively 1872. <laughs> So anyway, I've always had a, uh, an appreciation for the Hispanic culture and, you know, those folks in general. And so when the opportunity came up, I feel like, you know, there was a couple of buddies that probably just said, hey, man, you know, we have this opportunity to go down to Mexico. Do you want to go? And I was like, heck yeah, man, let's, let's do it. And yeah. uh, not really knowing what to expect. I just knew I was going to old Mexico. What year was this? 
02, 03. So it was pre cartel wars and all that stuff. And it was a, such a different place, man. And, um, there's a, there's a rodeo associate or a bull riding association down there, Cuernos Chuecos. And that literally translates to crooked horns. And their logo is a bull with crooked horns, you know? And, um, they're kind of like the Mexican version of the PBR and they're, they're a big deal down there. And Ford sponsors them, monster sponsors them. And, and, um, matter of fact, the guy that, that owns the association, he came up to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo and met me up here. Him and his family came up and uh, my wife came over and we hung out with him a couple of days. I hadn't seen him in years, but we stay in contact. And I've got a bunch of friends still down there and, and, uh, hadn't been down there in years, but we, we communicate through Facebook and what's the name of it again? Cuernos Chuecos. Okay. Yeah. And they're online and they so they're still doing their thing. Yeah. They're, they're big. How long were you down there? Man, I spent about a summer down there, uh, off and on, you know, we'd go down there a couple of weeks, come back home, you know, that sort of thing. But, but it was fun, but it was fun. Yeah. It was a blast. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we went down there, they, they would just roll out the red carpet for us. It was just awesome, man. We, first event I went to was in Querétaro, which is down South pretty far. And, um, <clears throat> they had all their events inside these old bullfighting arenas and, um, Man, it was cool. It was they; those folks packed the house. I, I don't even, I couldn't even give you a number of people that it was that place would seat, but there wasn't an empty seat in the joint. No kidding. And it, and it was just they were on fire. How different were the the bulls? Same, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the quality of the bulls and all that stuff down there are is it's the same as up here at the United States. And I, th I think a lot of those guys down there, and they all ride good. Those guys ride really good down there. They're very, very consistent. Uh, they're all about their, their bull riding down there. Uh, but some of those guys get a little nervous about coming up and competing in the U S for whatever reason. Uh, but I'll tell you, those guys could come up here and, and do their thing and, yeah. and dominate as well if they wanted to. Yeah. So when you left, uh, I guess, so that would have been like, Oh, two, Oh three. Were you still in college? Uh -huh. Yeah. So I was in, so I started college at Vernon college and, uh, on a rodeo scholarship yeah. to ride bulls for Bobby, Bobby Scott. And started college, I uh, graduated high school in 2000. And um, so in 01, yeah, 02, 03, somewhere in there is whenever, that would have been my, technically my sophomore, junior, Burnham was a junior college, it still is, I think. Um, so I ended up spending three years at junior college uh, because I wanted to rodeo and Bobby said, hey, we'd like for you to stick around a third year and we'll make sure you're taken care of. And we had an awesome team at the time and we won the men's and women's national championship in 03. Oh, yeah and set up record in the NRA yeah. and um it Cade swore and Jackie Crawford yeah Will Lowe and some of those oh guys. yeah y'all were stacked yeah we were stacked <laughs> and uh we kind of we had our way at the region you know all of us uh, either won our events or re reserve champs and and then we just kind of cleaned house and I'm not trying to be braggadocious but it was just one of those teams that um you know it was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime team and, killer and we had a blast and we won and we did did our thing and a lot of great memories from those years but um but yeah it had been 02 or 03 and uh so that was in the course of me going to college there and um they we'd go down there and a group of us and we'd drive all over mexico and we'd go down there in our own personal vehicle drive it down the middle of mexico there's a highway that runs right down the middle of mexico and man love. and we'd take our own personal vehicle down there and they'd load us up and we'd go to these bull ridings and stuff and we'd they'd put us up in people's houses and feed us and put us on TV and radio and we'd sign autographs at fairs. It was cool, man. It wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. That's crazy. It's changed that much, that fast. That much, man. Yep. I'd say. I never, 
you know, you hear the stories of old Mexico, and especially back then, you know, my dad had been down there. He was, he worked in corporate America for 26 years. So they'd go down there sometimes on travel and stuff. He just told me to be careful, but you know, uh, it wasn't like it is now where I feel like if you drove your personal vehicle down through there, where you, I feel like somebody would probably take your car and yeah. maybe do away with you. It's pretty too. sketchy, man. Yeah. I don't know that I'd trust that, but those folks down there in South South, you know, obviously the border uh, of Mexico is different. My my wife has family that lives down there on the border. You know, there's obviously those border wars that go on for, um, you know, for all all of that stuff goes on down there. But when you get a little further south, I think it's depending on the state you're in. I think it's a little different. Yeah, definitely. And so those guys that have that association, they're they're kind of native to Querétaro, the state, and uh, they live. A lot of their family lives in Querétaro City, and um, they say it's pretty chill down there. There's a little part of it, too, that it's like, you know, you could go into Dallas, and if you're looking to get yourself into some trouble, yeah. you're going you're gonna to find it, yeah. right? Yep. But, if, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah. I, I understand that it's a little bit more dangerous than it used to be historically, but yeah. if you're going to look... If you're in some sketchy places, you're probably going to find some sketchy people. Absolutely, yeah. I think, and, you know, there was times, like, we went to Mexico City one time for a bull riding, and uh, it was in a bar, and... um the folks told us, hey, do not leave this bar, mm. you know, because just don't, you know, you yeah. stay with us and you stay within the confines of this. And then if you want to leave, just let us know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can all go together or whatever. But uh, obviously they they were telling us, hey, you know, it can get, if you get off in the wrong alley over there, you might find yourself in a jam. So I think that's probably a lot of the way, because, you know, I know people that go down to Mexico and still experience the culture and stuff and they come back with, and they're fine. Yeah. Now I know some other folks that actually have had some problems with the cartel folks, but that's a whole nother story for them to tell. Yeah, I got a buddy that leases like a bunch of land, hunting land in Mexico. Uh-huh. And he's a, he's an outfitter. Oh, he is? Yeah, he's out of Colorado. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And uh, he's got some pretty wild stories. There's there's some, and I, I'll talk to you about it off, off the podcast here, but <laughs> you probably know, you may know the story, but there's a couple of guys I know that actually got kidnapped and yeah. all that stuff down there in Mexico. So anyway, <laughs> they're from our area. So but anyway. You made it out. I made it out alive. You didn't get kidnapped. No, you know, but I was with a bunch of the guys, the association guys down there, and inevitably there's always someone that was affiliated with the Mexican government in our group. And so I think a lot of the time we were we were kind of protected, padded, you know what I'm saying? They kind of made sure that we didn't get ourselves into a spot and made sure that the people that may put us in a spot knew that we were, um, made, made sure that, they knew that we were guests of theirs. Yes, for sure. So, did you did you make it out of your rodeo career like relatively? Uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, you, were you going to ask relatively sound, uninjured, and sound? Yeah. You know, honestly, I, I I feel very blessed that I did uh, for as long as I rode bulls, and I yeah, I kind of grew up rough anyway. You know, uh, my, I've been knocked out several times and had several you know lots of concussions. Uh, I you know my my big deal were my big deal was soft tissue stuff, tearing biceps and, uh, ligaments and those sort of things. I didn't break a lot of bones. I broke a collarbone and fractured my nose one time and bit through my lip and that sort of stuff. But a lot of mine was soft tissue damage. And, uh, matter of fact, I still got a torn AC on my left knee from when I was a junior. Yeah. And, um, but the very first time I ever got knocked out, I got knocked out riding a dirt bike when I was in fifth grade. Oh, the irony. Yeah. The irony, you know? So I'm like, I've had my tooth knocked out and it wasn't even knocked out riding bulls it was knocked out by a dog biting me so i've got this weird your tooth was knocked out by my front tooth yeah uh i was down petting him and he jumped up in my face and i guess i it was just he 
bit me in the perfect way, but it grabbed my front tooth and pulled it straight out of my gum, root and all. So he bit the tooth out. Like he, well, he just bit my, he went to bite at my face and I really don't know how it happened. I really don't know exactly if his mouth was open and grabbed my tooth and pulled it down or if he hit it with his nose. But I was, you know, I was leaning down, petting him and my buddy was preparing some food for him. Yeah. And he jumped up and boom, and it pulled my tooth, gosh, dog, root and all out of my gums. Was it a healer? It was a Doberman. It was, huh? Yep. A freaking dope. What'd they do? So the dentist actually took my tooth and pulled it back up in my gums and then ran a bar across and then bonded it to my other teeth that were up in my yeah. structure. And um, what'd, they, what'd they do with the dog? I, I don't know. That was my buddy's dog. And you know, the funny thing is he got that dog. So I had some friends that grew up in the neighborhood with me and and he got that dog when it was a puppy. And I so I was around the dog yeah, when it was a puppy. Weird. And then they ended up moving that dog. And I don't know why, but they had a, moved it over to like a car junkyard or something. And, um, so we were over there. He said, yeah, I want to run by there and feed him. And, um, I mean, we were, my, my buddy was old enough to drive, you know, 15, 16 years old. And, um, I was probably 13, 14. And you weird with dogs now? No, I'm not. I, you know, I've actually had a couple of run-ins with dogs. You know, I had a Nikita jump up and grab my side one time. And Boy, and you were like, these are some dogs that are no joke. Yeah. They hung hand up and in a Nikita. Nikita. I saw one the other day. We're, I don't know where we were. We were, my wife and I were somewhere and this couple went walking by with an Oh, we were, we went to Canada. We were in Canada and they went walking by with a Nikita. And I looked at that dog and I went, man, I know that kind of, I know that breed of dog. Yeah. It's a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I was in, I don't know, fourth, third or fourth grade or something. I don't, and I'd walk by this yard and this guy was, he was building a section of the fence, rebuilding the section of the fence. He'd put up some construction fence that, you know, that flimsy orange stuff just to kind of fill the gap so that to keep the dog in the yard. And I went by there and the dog was barking at me and I probably was antagonizing the dog and, uh, just hitting the fence or whatever, you know? And he, he said, enough of that, brother. Gosh, he jumped over that little deal and chased me down. Of course I took off running like an idiot, you know, like you're not supposed to run from a dog. And anyway, he caught up with me and jumped up, grabbed me on the side and, Gosh. and then turned around and ran off. And so I think the owners were real concerned that, you know, we were going to, you know, press charges or, you know, whatever, but it wasn't one of those deals. It was my fault. I was just a little punk kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I got bit by a chihuahua. <laughs> it was pretty intense. <laughs> Those chihuahuas, man, they, they'll get after you. Yes, they will. They run the roost, man. You'll see those little chihuahuas around a big old, you know, Great Dane or something, and they're they're calling the show. Oh, for sure, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, so how did you end up getting linked up with the Fort Worth Stock Show? Because I mean, is that that's kind of like one of your main? I know you do a bunch of stuff, but that's one of your main. You're the director of the Fort Worth Stock Show. Right? Yes. So I'm the rodeo director of the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, and that's actually my full time job. Okay. So I'm there at the office Monday through Friday year round. Uh, obviously during the show, I'm there uh, without any days off for like forty something days straight, but fifteen eighteen hour days. But um, so, you know, it's, it's a combination of my background and obviously being up and, and having my education. So I started out school and rode and rodeoed at Vernon and then I, I get four years of eligibility when you're rodeoing in college. And so I did three years at Vernon and one year at, um, in Canyon at West Texas A&M. And so I moved up to Canyon for my fourth year of eligibility and, uh, rodeoed for Mark Eakin up there. Who's now the coach of the Tarleton, Tarleton at Tarleton state. And I think they've been a big powerhouse over there now, but, um, so I stuck around there and got my bachelor's and started my master's degree. And, uh, ultimately, you know, I kind of had a long way of coming around back to this, but, uh, I moved back home with about six hours left of my master's degree, decided I was going back to Amarillo to finish up. 
got up there and um, got hired on with the Tri-State Fair and Rodeo. And it's their big fair and rodeo up there, the annual fair and rodeo. And uh, I got hired on kind of a, again, a blessing. No, you know, the right people got me in for an interview and taught me how to, I never had written a press release. And they said, well, a portion of this interview, you are going to have to write a press release. And so the person that had gotten me into it goes, have you ever written a press release? I said, I've never written a press release today in my life. But I've always kind of had, an, I like English and stuff, or writing papers and stuff when I was a kid. And, yeah. And I've always kind of been long-winded anyway. So I figured, well, sure, I can write a press release. So she taught me the structure, kind of that pyramid structure to start with the bulk of and then narrow it down, right? And so I went in there and wrote a press release. And I said, okay, you're off to round two. And and um, so they ended up hiring me as their marketing director. And um, so I dealt with – I my job was really kind of all-inclusive. It was um, some sponsorship stuff and – uh, managing the newsletter that went out, the website. Uh, we had a gala at the time. Uh, Blake Shelton was kind of on the come up, and he was the entertainer that performed for our gala that year that I was there. Um, and then I did the media and public relations as well for them. And so, you know, media, inter- you know, interviews and stuff when they come onto the grounds of the fair and just a little bit of everything, really. It was a small office, good folks up there. And so I worked for the Tri State Fair and Rodeo for a year and, and decided I wanted to move home. And, um, you know, obviously the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, I grew up coming to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo and having the, you know, at least a year of experience in that, uh, in the entertainment business and large event business. I just made a phone call and said, uh, Hey, um, I'm coming home and I've got some, I'm the marketing director for the Tri-State Fair. And I'd, I'd like for y'all to consider me. And, uh, you know, I, again, it's back to relationships and people that come into your life and, um, you know, present those opportunities and help you get to these opportunities. There's a lady, Denny Deedy there in Decatur that worked for the Wise County Messenger uh, that put in a good word for me. And, um, you know, they, the communications manager at the time reached out and said, hey, we need a guy that knows how to do social media. And that was when face, Facebook and all that was just getting going. Yeah. yeah. I said, well, yeah, I know a little, about, a little bit about social media. And so I was kind of of that age range, you know? Yeah. And so they said, well, come on. Uh, you were the first ones to get Facebook. Yeah, it was like when Facebook was hip. You like had to be in college, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, matter of fact, I that's exactly how it started. And I remember when I had a Facebook page whenever I was in college, and it you had to have a um, college email in order to create an account. Yeah, my sister, my oldest sister's about your age. Yeah, I remember she went to TCU for a little bit. Okay, and uh, I remember her coming back, and it was like we all wanted to get on Facebook because all the college kids all the were big, on it. Yeah, you know, yeah, all the kids you looked up to did. Yeah, had it. Yeah, man. So anyway, yeah, I came. They hired me on. They said, yeah, we, we've got a, I don't know, they may have had like 350 followers at the time on their page or something. Yeah. 1,500. I think it was 1,500. Man, that first first year of the show, I, like, it grew exponentially. Uh-huh. And the general manager goes, hey, um, you know, at the end of the show that year, they had get, kind of let all the temp employees go, you know, we have some temporary employees that come in and work in the office and do office-related duties uh, during the show. And um, there's always kind of a time where those duties kind of come to a conclusion and we say, see you again next year. And they said, see, see, see you again next year to all, all the temp employees. And I was still sitting there. So yeah. then the general manager comes up to comes up to me and goes, Hey, we'd like to hire you. And we'd like for you to be our first social media manager. So I got hired on full time to manage all the social media. And then as a course of that job, I ended up, um, managing all the social media, um, created the first app for the show and then a lot of the digital technology helping with some of the screen design during our rodeo we had started incorporating had started to incorporate 
we called them the poor boy ribbon boards. It was just our version of a ribbon board, but it was like two or three small, four, four small screens down on yeah. the lower level at yeah. Will Rogers Coliseum when we were right. still there. And then we come in, we, we built a, um, you know, custom, we called it Little Haas because you got Big Haas over at Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah. And my general manager called it Little Haas, but it was a big center hung screen and that uh, we came in and, and built out of video walls. And so managing some of that content and helping design some of that content, which I was very, I'm not, I'm not the greatest at, but I, you know, I built it in Photoshop or something, and now we have an official. That's cool, but you learned a lot of that stuff just on the job. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that technology was kind of getting created, like, right when you were doing it. I, I talk about that. You know, the, the social media deal was so fluid at the time, man. It was, like, ever-changing. It was, like— it still is. still is. It's constant. I'm I'm out of it now. And we have a girl that does it now, and she's she keeps up with all that. She's got the TikTok and all that stuff. But at that time, it was so fresh. I mean, there was landing pages on Facebook that yep. you had to you had to know how to code. It still had so, a MySpace back MySpace was back then. Uh, Twitter was there. Um, you know, so uh, then there was Instagram and there's all these different, I don't know. I, you know, I had to go back and look. There was just several of them that, you know, you had these, uh, what do you call them, scavenger hunt type social networks where, I don't know. There's just all of these ideas out there. Sure. And we were trying all of them and I learned how to HTML code and I learned how to use Photoshop and never had any pr uh, previous experience. And so anyway, that that job is kind of how I got it, my foot in the door with Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. They saw a need, and uh, I just happened to be. So when did you become the director? Uh, I officially became the rodeo director, I believe, in twenty. Don't quote me on that. Twenty twenty, I believe I did. But prior to that, my title was assistant operations manager, and I was doing all the same stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah. But officially, my title, I became the rodeo director around that time frame. Yeah. And, um, so I, you know, I did that. I did the social media deal for about five or six years. I've been with the show 14 years. So I did that social media deal for five or six years and then became the assistant operations manager, which really that job in, involved predominantly rodeo related things. But, um, you know, anything we have such a small, we've got 22 full-time staff members that operate the show year round and we all assist each other with a variety of things. So, you know, um, we all play different roles at different times and, um, obviously my baby is the rodeo 20, um, let's see, 25 performances in 23 days. Yeah. And, uh, this, which by the way, January 12th through February 3rd, Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. Let me get that plug in there. Yeah. And, uh, 25 performances in 23 days. Um, so I'm over the management of all of those and, um, all the personnel and the Cowboy Channel broadcast and the intricacies of all of that. And, and we have production meetings prior to every perf. We have, we have run of shows that are built out by the minute for everything that happens during the rodeo and got a great team of people, man, the best team that I've been around since I've been around rodeo. And, and, uh, man, it's just had a lot of, a lot of learning experiences. And my boss has really put me in a lot of positions that I was like, I don't know, man, it's just one of those adversity things. Yeah. You know, he puts you out and he's pushed me out there and said, Hey, do it, get after it, you know? And so, uh, I feel very fortunate, very, very blessed to uh, be running one of the largest rodeos in the nation. For sure. In the world. It's and, been, how long has it gone for? Um, the show started in 1896. That was the livestock show portion. Uh, and there's debate about this, but, um, you know, the official rodeo by term was in 1918. And it started over at uh, north side of the Coliseum there. And... Um, we transferred our event over to Will Rogers Coliseum uh -huh. in uh, 1944. That was kind of during the 
all of the World War II stuff. Yeah. And um, they were utilizing Northside Coliseum, I believe, to house airplane parts during that time. And so, um, you know, moved over to Will Rogers Coliseum. And it's over the, over the years, it's grown, obviously, in scope and size. And, and uh, we've got some leaders around the city that have really been huge benefactors and uh-huh. made that possible and made that possible for the community. And uh, it's a great event, man. There's just so many people that show up out there that have so many stories from their childhood uh, or their dads, you know, ha- had grew up there or, or what, you know, there's just so many stories and um, so, so much, such great people that come out to the show and it's, it's a family-based event. I love to see all the people come back and that have been coming for years. I get, we get told all the time, Hey man, I, you know, I've been coming out here since I was you know, five or whatever. And I've been to every rodeo performance since I was five years old and I'm yeah. 56 now or whatever. You're like, well, that's amazing. Yeah. There's that, that level of community support. And so yeah, it is huge. I've played the, whatever the, yeah, I saw that rodeo roadhouse. Yeah. The last live roadhouse. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, man. Well, that's everything y'all do out there is so cool. Well, appreciate that, man. It's and now that it's in Dickies, dude, it's awesome. It, it just, yeah, it took it, it took our deal to another level. You know, obviously Will Rogers Coliseum has its, um, you know, has, has the ambiance and the historical value sure. and a lot of great memories, a lot of great, uh, rodeo heroes, you know, step foot in that arena, a lot of heroes in general, just yeah. business leaders and dignitaries and all of that. So, you know, uh, and I've been at every rodeo performance since, um, since I've been hired since 2010, I've yeah. stood at every rodeo performance since 2010. And, um, but there's people who have stood at twice as many of that, you know, as well. So that buy the boxes and they come in and all that sort of thing. But whenever we transit, uh, transitioned over to Dickey's arena in 2020, um, man, it was just, a, it's just such a different experience. And it was just a time, it's just a time in our history where it was necessary. And Dickey's arena has just been a, a phenomenal venue for Fort Worth overall outside the uh, per, uh, parameters of our rodeo as well. Um, you know, obviously there's concerts and events that come in, in and out of there all throughout the year. I think they were the fourth highest grossing venue in the world. Whoa. As no, uh, nominated by Billboard magazine. Really? Last year, uh, they were just nominated again as a top venue in the world for the seating capacity of ten to 15,000. Yeah. yeah, it's actually kind of weird. It's not as big as I thought it was, man. But you know, because even the, the whole NFR thing, that kind of tripped me out. Where they they did it over in uh, Club Life. Yeah, yeah. But because I, I was like, why didn't they just do it at Dickies? But it wasn't big enough, apparently. Or, well, or I guess that was with the distancing thing too. But even um, what the heck, uh, Thomas and Mac uh-huh. in Vegas. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize how big that arena actually is yeah it seems like thomas and max seats what fifteen thousand or something man i think it's close to 20 is it it maybe is and, but i didn't when i'm in dickies it feels huge yeah it, well, it is big yeah but i guess in this relation to how many people they're packing in for the nfr I'm, yeah i guess i just thought it was like well you know the cool thing about dickies is that arena was designed um for rodeo because we're the anchor tenant there and um the chairman of our board mr bass uh, edward p bass um, he was obviously very influential in, in Dickey's arena being constructed at Fort Worth and, 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 and managing that whole process. And, um, you know, he obviously has an affinity for our rodeo and, um, designed that arena with rodeo in mind. And so, oh, cool. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. And so it's probably the only venue that I know of that was built 
with rodeo in mind. Uh, not any other venue in, in the world that I'm aware of was. There's like some uh, hockey arenas that have been in where, I mean, it's kind of random, but like in Tampa specifically where the lightning play, uh-huh. it's like, it's very steep. Yeah. Uh, the way the, the, the seating is, uh-huh. like it's just straight up and down. You're just looking right down in on top of it. But it was, I mean, it's a hockey arena. Right. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Sometimes when they do that in like a basketball gym, or uh, basketball should be more like that probably. Right. Um, that's kind of the way Dickies feels a little bit, you know, a little bit more over on top of it. There was, there was a considerable amount of thought put into Dickies. Ring. Obviously, you can see that when you walk in, um, you know, with all the native grasses and things that, you know, Mr. Bass has uh, really got an affinity for native grasses and plants and that are native to Texas. So yeah. All of the uh, landscaping around Dickey's Arena is all native stuff. So if you're there next time, you can look around and go, that stuff is all native to Texas, mesquites and all this cool. sort of thing. And yeah. so uh, that level of detail, I mean, down to the stuff with what the bathrooms felt like and looked like, yeah. and pot, you know, how nice they are. And th- he wanted everybody to have a good experience yeah. there. And um, But they also did some studies on the distance of the top row of Will Rogers Coliseum down to the dirt level, Yeah, what the distance was. And it's pretty comparable. Uh, really? If they're in that oak okay. hole. And so uh, while it does, yeah, they, there's obviously more seats in Dickey's Arena than there's in Will Rogers. I believe that uh, Will Rogers is about 5,400. And in our configuration, it's 9,300 and 9,400 rodeo configuration in Dickey's Arena because there's different configurations. So they can get up to around 14,000, I think, 14,000 yeah. 14, for concerts and that sort of thing. Um, but for our deal, you know, 9,300, but it's so intimate, you know what I mean? For sure. Even for a concert. Definitely. I still haven't been to a concert in there. Really? Oh man, you got to the- Oh, actually I take that back. I went to, uh, <laughs> for your post below. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> All right. The, uh, uh, Zimmer Kubota, Sam Zimmer. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, we know, we, yeah, we deal with all the Zimmer folks. They're He's all my homie. Yeah, they're yeah. good folks. Yeah. They are good folks. So Sam, yeah. we all went out to, uh, dinner one night and he has- a box there at Dickie's. Okay, I cool. Guess. Yeah. So we ended up going to Post Malone. But <laughs> Sam's like, I think he was going to give some of the tickets away to some people that work for him. Yeah, like his daughters or something oh, like that. that. Yeah. And then one of my buddies knows Sam. And he's like, dude, we'll go. Yeah. So it was my wife and all them. And Sam's like, we're out there at dinner. And he's like, now what are we, who are we going to see right now? You know? Post, oh, Posty. So he sat there about like. A quarter of the way through post. Yeah. He, he was like, all right, dude, I got to leave. Gotta I go. can't. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what he's saying. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's that's awesome. That's what Dickey's Arena provides, in my opinion, is just the there's such a diverse range of people that come in and out of there. You yeah. know, concerts. I mean, K-pop, for instance. We had a K-pop concert. For real? Yeah. We had a K-pop, uh, K-pop concert during the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo over at our old auditorium last year. Never heard of K-pop until they had it during the the stock show. Yeah, over in our old auditorium, and uh, my general manager came to me and he goes, "Hey man," he said, um, "What do you think?" Korean pop, Korean pop, <laughs> Korean pop, and he goes, "What do you think about having a K-pop concert?" And um, I, ironically enough, I I stay in contact with the technology director over yeah. at Nikki's Arena, and, and they have a big K-pop concert over there, used at least one a year. And um, he, I asked him about it. He goes, man, it's he said they pack the house for this sucker, yeah. and we want to, you know, at the show we want to appeal to. Everybody, we want to have yep. an opportunity for somebody to come out and enjoy our toe show in whatever capacity it may be. And so he came to me and goes, what do you think about a K-pop concert in the auditorium? I go, I love hey, cool, let's do it. it. And so we had one. And uh, my wife happened to be out of the show and she was walking around the exhibits hall and she's like, I told her there was a K-pop concert that come to the auditorium. And, and uh, she goes, you know, I saw those guys. 
She said they were running around the uh, com- the commercial exhibit area with a camera. They probably loved it. Yeah, and they were yeah. shooting little. They were getting little sound bites and yeah. doing all that stuff. And so, anyway, I think that's great. And yeah. Dickies Arena brings a diverse range of things to Fort Worth, and from monster truck rallies to rodeo to you know. rodeo is an interesting culture because it, you know, there's like you're always wanting to grow and like grow the industry, um, but there it's so steeped in tradition. And like, that's what it comes from. And that's what makes it so cool is because of the history and the tradition. At the same time, you want to be like, I guess, accepting of, of people coming from different areas or different walks of life and yeah. stuff. Uh, it's like, I wasn't real. I grew up in Decatur, but I wasn't, uh, my parents, you know, weren't into horses and nobody rodeoed or anything. And like, it was my brother-in-law that taught me to shoot horses. So that's how I even like entered into all of it. And I, you know, I dealt with definitely some people that, if you didn't come from like a rodeo family or your freaking grandpa didn't own three sections out in West Texas, like, yep. it's like you didn't really belong. Yeah. Uh, which isn't cool, you know? Yeah. Like some people, yeah, they don't have the opportunity. They got to learn it on their own. Yep. Um, and if you exclude some of those people, it's like never going to grow. At the same time, I am big on like tradition and history. Sure. And uh, you got to like respect the tradition to a certain degree. And so like I've always found that to be an interesting dynamic with with rodeo yeah you know that's the thing about our shows we want again back to um we want to make everybody's experience that comes out there we want them to experience the western culture the industry in whatever capacity they want to experience it in if they want to come and they just want to watch a rodeo and they want to buy a ticket we want to give them the best production possible uh but then you know if they want to come out and see the animals and do that sort of thing. There's that opportunity too. But, uh, you know, we're just trying to create that connection to the Western industry mm-hmm. uh, to keep it alive, you know, because uh, as these kids get further and further away from the ranch and the farm, you yeah. know, back 100 years ago, people were either farming and ranching or yeah. they were like maybe one generation removed. And now we're three or four. Yeah. And it just continues to kind of get a little further and further away from the farming and ranching lifestyle. So yeah. there's a lot of people that are maybe kind of you know, believe it or not, it's hard for me to imagine, but, um, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that don't even realize where they get milk from, you know what I mean? And so there's these things that educate these kids mm-hmm. about, you know, and I know that the, a lot of the livestock folks do a really good job of that. Yeah. We have a milking parlor out there that has, we bring a dairy cow in there and they talk to them um, about how to milk a cow and this is where it comes from and this is where the milk in the store comes from and so, or this is where the meat on a pizza comes from or this is where leather, you know, all that. It was interesting. You have to explain some of that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, you hate it, but, you know, if it weren't for events like ours and the people yeah. involved with the volunteers and the companies that get involved with our event, um, a lot of that education for those folks may go by the wayside, which then, as those kids grow into adults mm-hmm. and assume political roles and, and leadership roles and doing whatever they're doing out in the world, um, you know, it, they, they, if they don't have a connection to that or don't have a re- remembrance or a memory of, of that sort of stuff, then mm. they may not be as prone to advocate for it, right? Totally. Or it might, yeah, might go the opposite direction and be yeah. uh, against it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even with the rodeo thing, a lot of it's just, like, educating people on, like, what the heck's actually going on. A lot yeah. of people get weird about it, roping a calf or something yeah. like that, because they just don't really totally understand what's happening. So if you ostracize those people, they're, like, always going to be against you. Yeah. You know, and you can't please everybody, but, dude, it's pretty wild even. Like, I have... Uh, like just with the internet, how you can uh, connect with people that you would never think that you would. Yeah. Like, like I have songs that uh, like I covered a Rihanna song, and it um, and like it went pretty viral on Instagram and stuff. And like I get DMs from people almost every day. From, no kidding. Like Iraq, 
and Iran, man, Japan, the power of music, and there, yeah, and also it is the power of the the sort of like Texas cowboy thing. Too. Yes, it's fascinating. Absolutely, because they'll send me DMs and they're just like, it'll be like a picture of my album cover or something. They're like, yeah, Texas cowboy, and I'm talking. It is somebody from Iran. Like, wow, like what? So I'm a horseshoe from Decatur, Texas. Exactly. How is that even? Isn't that cool though, man? Wild. I'm, we live in such a, you know, obviously technologically advanced society these days. And I talk about that just not not only from like on a very uh, pigeonholed view of that, but uh, from the rodeo side of it, when I, when I was growing up, we didn't, not everybody had a cell phone. Their, nobody had a cell phone in their pocket. Yeah. Now you go to a bull riding and there's everybody behind the bucket chute has a cell phone out recording it. <laughs> And then they can get back there behind the bucket chutes and they and they can slow mo it and they can back it up and forward. I used to have to get the tape <laughs> from my buddy's mom that had a handheld recorder in the stands and I may or may not be able to find her, you know, maybe a week or two and then I'd stay the night at his house and we could get in there and we'd slow mo it and then we'd right. fast forward and reverse on his V C R, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so from you know, so yeah, I mean it's great. And then obviously, uh b- back to your comment about people having an affinity for the cowboy culture and being the Texas cowboy uh, persona. Uh, I think, you know, Yellowstone has kind of oh yeah helped with that. And oh, yeah. we've all been kind of riding that wave, <laughs> and um, which has been great. You yeah, know? man. And, and there's folks out there that have one opinion or the other about Yellowstone. and But my opinion of it is that it's drawn, it's kind of like uh, Urban Cowboy era, you know. Definitely. Eight Seconds era where it just, you know, people gravitated are gravitating back to uh, the Western culture and they're buying more horses and they're buying yep. land out in decatur texas and they're going and buying boots at at cavenders and these places and you know getting outfitted head to toe and coming out to the stock show and so they're wanting to come out and see some livestock at our deal or they're wanting to come to one of your shows and listen to some texas country and they're just eat up with it yeah so you know that's great all right well january 12th january 12th or february 3rd and tickets are already available uh, tickets will be available, I believe, in September. We changed that a little bit. Okay. Uh, FWSSR.com. Okay. Uh, you can learn a little more about how to purchase tickets and what events we offer, and we'd love to have everybody. And yeah, and if anybody has any complaints about the rodeo or anything, they direct them specifically your way. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's all right. I'd be happy to talk to anybody that has a complaint. <laughs> Absolutely. Please call, and we'll talk it through. Yeah. And we may agree to disagree, but right. uh, or we may may agree. I don't know. Right. So right. yeah, please call and yeah. uh, show up at your house. Yeah, show up at my house. And my wife, she's she's pretty mean. Yeah, I bet. she's Hispanic. She don't put up with much. <laughs> so you better watch out. But anyway, right on, man. And then uh, my little boy's got a birthday, and uh, he's asleep over there. But Riot White, he'll be uh, ten tomorrow. Yeah, he had a big wrestling match today. Yeah, him and his brother both wrestled over in Keller today at Spartan Mat Club, and and. Uh, for an hour and a half it was called, it's a takedown tournament so they just yeah. take those kids down they get back up take them down again and so they're both wiped out so he wanted he was so excited about coming and being on the podcast or wanted to get on the podcast today and he's asleep over there in the chair they did good yeah they were good. sitting over there for about like an hour yeah i was i'm has it already been an hour yeah really yeah. man that's flew by <laughs> anyway i was really interested in coming in and seeing what this format was like i listened yeah. to a lot of podcasts this oh week. okay Really appreciate you having me on. And yeah, man. It's been a pleasure, man. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I wish we had more time. We'll do it again, too, even uh, when it gets closer to the, the stock show or something. Absolutely. Be glad to Dude, come back anytime. You can even get, like, a few people that, like, you work with and stuff. Absolutely. We could have a full. Yeah, we could have just a little roundtable discussion and chop could, it up, man. It'd yeah, be it'd be cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it, man. Absolutely. Uh, really appreciate you having me over and really enjoyed it. So Yeah, thanks, man.